Oh, my God. 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Monday. Back to school, back to work we go. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Look around and you'll see 
את מקודשת לי, מקודשת לי בטבעת זו. הרי הרי את הרי את מקודשת לי בטבעת זו. הרי הרי את הרי את מקודשת לי, מקודשת לי בטבעת זו. הרי הרי את הרי את מקודשת לי בטבעת זו. כדעת משה וישראל, משה וישראל. כדעת משה מקודשת לי, מקודשת לי בטבעת זו. הרי הרי את הרי את מקודשת לי בטבעת זו. כדעת משה
JM in the AM. Rogers Park with Nigun Hisvados. You heard Yoni Z in Manaseh. Yaakov Shweki with both Aish and Hare At. Oh, we got to change that. Playlist says Hare A. There we go. Hare At. <laughs> uh, Aish, uh, we said Aish from Yaakov Shweki. Ari Goldwag with Lonaf Seek, Never Give Up, done by Miami. Mayor Sherman, our Monday morning theme song, Masach Hashem. And of course, Regesh. Modani opening things up, and we say good morning. It's Monday on this December the 17th, day 9 in the month of Teves, the year 5779. Tufshin Ayin Tomorrow's a fast day. Asar Teves starts tomorrow morning. 40 degrees, 87% humidity, winds in north at 7 miles an hour, partly cloudy and a high temperature of 48. That's welcome after all this rain we've had over the last couple of days. Partly cloudy tonight, low 32, and tomorrow sunshine and a high temperature for Tuesday, 39 degrees. Yushalayim is at 55. We're at 40 here in New York City. As we say good morning at JM and the AM. Plenty coming up this morning, including the legendary Babe Ruth of Israel, Tal Brody, the great professional basketball player who... Uh, Helped Israel get on the map. And we'll explain all that coming up. It's a brand new documentary. It's amazing. I've seen it. And we'll speak with him in the 8 o'clock hour this morning. Plus plenty more, of course. Got the Israel show going on at 9 o'clock. At 10 a.m. after further review as the NFL season really heats up. That's the only Pollock and company. 11 a.m. it's going to be uh, Jake Novak with Novak now. There was a lot happening this morning all through the morning both during and after JM in the AM. A reminder that our year-end fundraiser is going on as we speak. We encourage everybody to give as generously as possible. Go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org for the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting. And to give what you can to support the work of JM in the AM and the Nachum Siegel Network. Big week for us as we travel this week. And travel weeks are always big weeks. Tomorrow night, we'll be broadcasting from Toronto. Thank you to our friends at kosher.com. Wednesday morning, we broadcast from Toronto. Thank you to our friends from both uh, Toronto Hatsala and the uh, Toronto Eruv. We'll explain that charity campaign in detail on Wednesday morning. And then Thursday, starting at 6 a.m., we'll be with the uh, JNF with the Jewish National Fund at Gotta Get a Bagel in Woodmere, New York. And we're doing that to celebrate a whole bunch of great big news, brand new news from our friends at the Jewish National Fund. So live broadcasts galore starting tomorrow night, including Wednesday morning and Thursday morning on the road with us at the Nahum Siegel Network. And um, while we're there in the five towns on Thursday, our plan is to stick around and do our live lunch starting at 11 a.m. Eastern time from the Achiezer headquarters on Central Avenue in Cedarhurst. So there is a lot happening, a lot going on. Get ready, everybody, for a very big week for us and for you, for all of us here at the Nahum Siegel Network. More coming up 24 minutes before 7 o'clock. Keep it right here at JM in the AM. We've been returned to Israel and are like dreamers. All the leaders of the world are trying to understand how, while our people flood back in from all the nations, and after centuries of tears, we see you, Hashem, in everything, and await your warm embrace 
of full redemption.
JM in the AM with Yehuda Green. Not bad, huh? Calls it the Chizuk Nigun. Before that, Samach done by Eighth Day. Ohad had Imeshkachech. Pitchuli from Schlockrock, Israel Bilvavot, that great single, of course, in honor of Israel's 70th. It is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web and NachumSingle.com and the NachumSingle Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. And I thank you all for tuning in and for commenting on the app. Trucker Yitz has a comment out there on the app. Listener Terry, thank you, Terry, for a wonderful Shabbos. Boker Tov, she says, I need some songs of inspiration. Keep them coming. And Rabbi says, hey, what about Atlanta? Yeah, don't worry. We'll take care of... uh, We'll take care of Toronto and the five towns this week. Trust me, Atlanta it looks very, very much like it's in your future and our future. So I wouldn't worry about that. Uh, don't forget to go to fjbunity.org and support JM and the AM. fjbunity.org. Sponsor all or part of a JM and the AM broadcast. And a big mazel tov to Dr. Mark Singer. Amazing offer off this past Shabbos. Added Congregation Eitz Chaim in Queens. Thank you, Rabbi Rosenberg. Thank you, Terry, and Mazel Tov to uh, to Dr. Mark and to Toby and the entire the entire extended family. So many wonderful people who came from far and wide to participate and be there for the big event. So those of you who um, who heard on Friday that we had a big Ufruf celebration, I can tell you it was really amazing, really incredible, and amazing. So Mazel Tov, Dr. Mark Singer, Mazel Tov, Toby, Mazel Tov to uh, everybody who was there. It was just a great event and a wonderful get-together for so many. And we are looking forward to the wedding this coming Sunday. Bezrat Hashem. Golly, it's on the background. Again, don't forget, we're in our uh, on-the-road week. Tomorrow night, 7 p.m. with Kosher.com up in Toronto. Wednesday morning in Toronto with Hatzala and the uh, Eruv. And uh, then Thursday, JNF in the Five Towns. Details coming up. Galay Tzal, Israel Army Radio, next. נשים שכירות מרוויחות פחות מגברים ב-31.4%, כך מדווח כתבנו לענייני כלכלה ניטה ינבי. ההכנסה של מחצית מהשכירים הייתה פחות מ-7,450 שקלים לחודש בשנה שעברה, לעומת השכר הממוצע שעמד על 10,100 שקלים. לפי נתוני הלשכה המרכזית לסטטיסטיקה, גבר שכיר מרוויח 10 שקלים יותר לשעה מאישה שכירה, ובסך הכל כ-3,700 שקלים יותר בממוצע בכל חודש. עוד נמצאו פערים בשכר בין המגזר היהודי לערבי, שם השכר הממוצע עומד על כששת אלפים ותשמעות שקלים בלבד. עומסי תנועה כבדים עדיין מורגשים במרכז הארץ, זאת בעקבות הפגנת אלפי העובדים הסוציאליים בתל אביב, שהסתיימה בדקות האחרונות. העובדים אחרו נגד האלימות כלפיהם מצד מטופלים ונגד האוצר, שלדבריהם מסרב לפתוח מחדש משא ומתן בתנאי העסקתם. רינו צרור שוחח עם חדיג'ה אבו זאלה, עובדת סוציאלית מאום אל המצב בלתי נסבל. אחד הלקוחות אצלנו במחלקה לא היה מרוצה מהשירות שלנו. הוא קודם איים עליי במחלקה, ואחרי זה הוא בא לבית שלי בשעות הלילה עם קרובי משפחתו, והציתו לי את הרכב וירו בו 30 כדורים. מנכ"ל רכבת ישראל שחר איילון יעזוב את תפקידו. כתבנו גל חן דיווח לראשונה כי שר התחבורה ישראל כץ הציע למנכ"ל נתיבי ישראל ניסים פרץ 
להתמודד על התפקיד. אחרי שנה וחצי בלבד בתפקיד, מנכ"ל הרכבת שחר איילון יעזוב את החברה. בכהונתו, איילון נאלץ להתמודד עם הפתיחה המקרטעת של הרכבת לירושלים והעומסים המחמירים בקרונות. ברכבת ישראל מאשרים את הפרטים. בתוך כך נודע לנו ששר התחבורה ישראל כץ הציע למנכ"ל נתיבי ישראל, ניסים פרץ, להתמודד על התפקיד. כך לפי גורמים במשרד התחבורה. מנתיבי ישראל ומהשר כץ לא נמסרה תגובה. ורק הבוקר שאל רזי ברקאי את איילון מדוע לא עוזב את התפקיד בשל התקלות המרובות והיחסים האחורים עם שר התחבורה. איילון השיב, אני לא עוזב זירת קרב. רזי, ראיינת אותי כאיש משטרה, ראיינת אותי כנציב הכבאות. אתה מראיין אותי עכשיו כמנכ"ל רכבת. שמעת אותי פעם בורח מעימות ובורח מקרב? אין מה לעשות, ככה אנחנו המדינה, והמדינה, אנחנו נעשה את הקרב הזה יחד עם הנוסעים, יחד עם העובדים, ואנחנו ננצח. רוסיה תציב מטוסי קרב בחצי האי קרים בצל המתיחות עם אוקראינה. כתבת חדשות החוץ, מאיה רכלין. משרד ההגנה הרוסי האשים את אוקראינה בהתגרות נגד כוחות רוסיה, והודיע שיפרוס בתגובה לפחות עשרה מטוסי קרב על אדמת חצי האי קרים. אתמול נשיא אוקראינה פורושנקו טען שמוסקבה ממשיכה לאיים על קייב. בחודש שעבר גברה המתיחות בין המדינות, אחרי שהצבא הרוסי תקף ושבה שלוש ספינות אוקראיניות בסמוך לחצי האי. קמעונאית הרשת אסוס צנחה בבורסה בבריטניה ב-40 אחוזים ככל הנראה בשל הנחות הענק של נובמבר. כתבתנו לענייני צרכנות עינב קרנר. ענקית הסחר המקוון דיווחה שהמכירות הידרדרו משמעותית בחודש הקניות נובמבר, שנחשב מהותי מבחינת ההכנסות. בהודעת החברה למשקיעים הסבירה החברה את עדכון התחזית השנתית שלה כלפי מטה, בחוסר ודאות בקרב שווקי היעד והיחלשות באמון הצרכנים. בשל כך צנחה מניית החברה ב-40 אחוזים בבורסה בלונדון. הגרלת שמינית גמר ליגת האלופות, ליברפול תפגוש את ביין מינכן. רונלדו ויובנטוס את אתלטיקו מדריד עם תמונת שמינית הגמר המלאה, כתבנו אופיר יונתן. אלופת אירופה בשלוש השנים האחרונות, ריאל מדריד תשחק נגד אייקס ההולנדית, יורגן קלופ וחניכיו יתמודדו נגד אלופת גרמניה ביירן, מנצ'סטר יונייטד תפגוש את סוללת הכוכבים של פריס סן ג'רמן, רונלדו יחזור למדריד למפגש נגד אתלטיקו, ברצלונה ומסי ישחקו נגד ליון, מנצ'סטר סיטי אלופת אנגליה תפגוש את שלקה, טוטנאם תשחק נגד דורטמונד, גם רומא או פורטו תעלנה לרבע הגמר. מה שנקרא החודשים ינואר אמיתי, ירידה בטמפרטורות, ייתכן גשם מקומי מלווה סופות רעמים יחידות. אלה החדשות שעורכת טל זרביב. JM in the AM on a Monday morning broadcast, heading back to school and back to work, and I thank you all for tuning in from around the world. On this Monday morning, a reminder, we are in Toronto tomorrow night, broadcasting with kosher.com, and Wednesday morning with the Eruv and the Hatzala of Toronto. Wednesday morning's JM and AM. And Thursday, we're in the five towns broadcasting from Gotta Get a Bagel with our friends at the Jewish National Fund, JNF. And that's going to be happening uh, Thursday morning between 6 and 9 a.m. And then Thursday, a live lunch starting at 11 a.m. from Achiezer on Central Avenue in Cedarhurst. So big week, big travel week for us here at JM in the AM. Bob Kent is with us live via telephone. Uh, many of you are uh, likely not aware of the fact that a gentleman named Bob Levinson is the longest-held American hostage in history. Now in captivity for 11 years, 9 months, and 4 days, he's being held by Iran, whose agents abducted him on Kish Island on March the 9th of 2007. He's a career FBI officer investigating worldwide organized crime. He's a husband and father with seven children. He is Jewish. 
And this week, the public learned for the first time since at least 2011 that Bob Levinson is alive inside Iran. We also learned that he could be rescued by a team ready to get him at any time. The news is due to our guest, former U.S. Air Force Intelligence Officer Bob Kent, who runs an Iraq-based geopolitical research and strategic intelligence firm. And since 2011, his networks have been exclusively researching the Iranian Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps-supported militias. Bob Kent, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you for having me. A pleasure. Why is it that none of us have heard of Bob Levinson? Well, the last administration has done everything they could to keep the case quiet. Uh, for whatever reason, they don't seem to want him released, and they've had many opportunities to get him back, and they didn't leverage those opportunities. And uh, a- any uh, conjecture why that might be, why the U.S. government, especially the past administration, had no interest in bringing him back to the U.S.? I mean, it's definitely tied to the Iran deal in some shape and form, Uh my opinion is that Iran wanted to keep a bargaining chip, and Mr. Levinson was expendable. He was working as a CIA contractor. He's Jewish. Uh, it's a good chip for them. And the Obama administration would do pretty much anything to get the deal done. Uh, based on the intro, since 2011, no one's really known his whereabouts. I mean, did, did we in fact go seven years without knowing whether he's alive or not? Uh, there had always been reports that he was alive. Uh, they didn't investigate it. Uh, the FBI did no investigation into the case uh, or no real investigation into the case, and they pretty much dropped it. The only people that have kept up are uh, you know, Bob Levinson's family and people that he used to work with uh, have been looking for him all this time. But the U.S. government has always known where he, where he is. He's in Iran. He's in Iran. He's, <laughs> he's been there the whole time. Retired United States Air Force Captain Bob Kent with us live via telephone. Um, how did you find out that he's alive right now? So, like Mr. Levinson, I have a, a, a research company in Iraq. I maintain networks there, and I was trying to sell information that I was getting to the government. And we were tracking al-Qaeda terrorists that were active, uh, working with Iran uh, in Iraq. And when we reported to the FBI, they said, no, uh, that, that's not an al-Qaeda terrorist. That's a man named Mohammed Salam. I said, how can we convince you? And they said, find Bob Levinson. So I asked my network, I said, can you guys find Bob Levinson? And on June 10th, they contacted me and said, hey, we found him. We have a 41-second video from June 4th. Uh, We have copies of his fingerprints, and we have a blood sample. And I brought this to the FBI, and they started to delay it. So I contacted Mr. Levinson's attorney, and I've been working with him since, pro bono, uh, to try and bring some attention to this matter. All right, so we know he was alive in June, and we suspect he's alive now, or we know definitively he is? Uh, we believe he's alive now, yes. Uh, how uh, old is he, by the way? He's in his early 70s. Wow. And he has a large family. He's a member of the Jewish community, of course. and and does. And, and the fact that he's a Jew, as you explained earlier briefly, uh, only helps the Iranian side of things. Yes, that's correct. Uh, uh, he has seven children and four grandchildren, I believe. Um, what what is it that we can do at this point? Uh, and is the Trump administration any more sympathetic to this situation than the previous one was? I don't know if President Trump himself is following this. Uh, we briefed Vice President Pence's office on October fifth, and there's been no response other than, uh, you know, we're we're pursuing this through the same old channels. Uh, we are trying to raise money to purchase the proof of life. 
the, the video. It's, uh, there's a GoFundMe page that's been set up. It's, it's called Bring Bob Levinson Home. Uh, we, we need the money because the people that are going to bring us the, the proof of life, they can't go back into Iran. So we have to relocate them and their families. That's what the money will be used for. Uh, but and hopefully we'll get some assistance from the U.S. government to do this. But so far, there hasn't been any. And I, I was under the impression that um, uh, in advance of this conversation that there might be a way to, in a clandestine fashion, actually get him back to the United States. Is that realistic or not? That was realistic when we first approached the government in June and even until even in October. But now that things are going public, uh, maybe not. We'll have to see. It's still, it's still a possibility, but much more difficult now if, if the Iranians move, Bob. And uh, the, 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 the campaign that you mentioned, which is the GoFundMe page, GoFundMe.com, Bring Bob Levinson Home. It, has a, it just started, and it has a goal of $250,000. Anybody out there who would like to help in this effort, obviously, it's very simple. Go to the GoFundMe website, and you search Bring Bob Levinson Home. They have a goal of $250,000. Has all of this, including this morning's publicity of this case, put him in further danger, or that's hard to evaluate? That's hard to evaluate. The, the Iranians have uh, said that they don't have him uh, several times. Uh, that's been their, you know, the most recent uh, propaganda that they put out. So if they just, I don't think they'll harm him. Uh, he's worth more than one alive. Right. Uh, the publicity could help us, especially if we get the proof of life. Uh, it gives the president something to say. Okay, we know this man was alive, you know, on June fourth. Uh, where is he? And, and either return him or. And he'll return his remains. And this is the time of year, no secret, this is the time of year with the holiday season upon us when the president more traditionally acts when it comes to cases like this and could express sympathy publicly um, you know, in a situation like this and maybe make some progress, frankly. Yes. I, there's no reason that Bob Levinson isn't home by New Year. None. So if the United States government applies enough pressure, uh, that can be a reality. In the next couple of weeks, he could actually be back in the United States. Yes, sir. Bob Levinson is the longest-held American hostage in history, now in captivity for almost 12 years, being held by Iran, whose agents abducted him on March the 9th of 2007. Uh, there is proof that he is alive. Uh, the previous administration, uh, likely because the Iran deal did not act in a manner to actively try to rescue him. Hopefully the Trump administration, in fact, will. Uh, there is a GoFundMe campaign. You heard um, uh, Captain Bob Kent explain why it's important to raise this money. Go to the GoFundMe page and to just simply search the words, bring Bob Levinson home. It's a quarter of a million dollar goal. And um, and you can do that very easily online, again, with the GoFundMe page. And the bottom line is, if uh, we increase the pressure and the awareness and start to get the word around about the Bob Levinson case that, that nobody here in, in, in this company knew about uh, last week before it was brought to our attention by our good friend Jake Novak and our member of uh, NSN, Jake Novak, who's, gonna, by the way, going to be discussing this case at 11 a.m. this morning here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, until then, nobody knew about it here. And uh, if we go ahead and tell our rabbis and our community leaders and those influential in Washington and those influential in the Trump administration that Bob Levinson is, in fact, alive and uh, we as Americans and obviously with a uh, even greater attachment because he's a member of the Jewish community that we want to see him uh, come back to the U.S. as soon as possible. Hopefully, in fact, that will help. 
retired United States Air Force Captain Bob Kent. Anything else you'd like to add, sir? No, thank you for your time. I appreciate I, I really it very much. I appreciate you helping us get the story out. And good luck. What can I say? I, I can only imagine what his family's going through and what he's going through. Good luck, and uh, please keep us up to date on all of this. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Uh, search at the GoFundMe page, Bring Bob Levinson Home. The story's up there. You can uh, see the whole thing. My thanks to retired United States Air Force Captain Bob Kent, who is um, working actively, if you, as you heard. Uh, Jake Novak brought all of this to our attention. He'll speak more about it at 11 a.m. this morning, Eastern Time, on Novak Now, right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Monday morning broadcast. More coming up. Keep it here at JMNAM. Tomorrow, by the way, a fast day. Uh, Sarah Bateve starts early tomorrow morning. Keep that in mind. Fast day tomorrow. So you want to keep that in mind. And plenty more coming up. Keep it right here at JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. on a Monday morning as we head back to school and back to work. Remind you, tomorrow is um, a fast day. A Serbateve starts tomorrow morning. For those of us in this area, relatively easy fast because uh, sunset tomorrow is like, I don't know, 4.30 or so. So the fast would end uh, less than an hour after that. Um, some areas of the world who are tuned in right now have a long fast. Because it's summer where they are. Yeah. In fact, this would be the longest fast day of the year for them. How do you like that? Sometimes we uh, Northeasterners don't think of that. Eighth day, that was David Perlman with Modem. Eighth day had D done. You heard Mordechai and David in there with Vani. Monday morning, JM and the AM. Don't forget our uh, year-end campaign, fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. Make sure to... uh, Give as generously as you can. Uh, you'll also see there's sponsorship opportunities where you literally could sponsor part or all of a JM and AM broadcast, which I know is of 
great interest to a lot of people out there in honor of somebody, in memory of somebody, etc., etc. So check that out, and uh, we'll take care of that for you. 40 degrees, partly cloudy, a high 48. You shall lime right now at 55. We're at 40 here in New York City as we say good morning at JM. The Amy Shiva League Sports Update tomorrow morning, of course, 720. For that, I want to wish a mazel tov again to Dr. Mark Singer on the uh, incredible Ufruf uh, this past Shabbos. It was really beautiful. The congregation ate Chaim in Queens. It was really beautiful. And to uh, Mark and Toby and uh, everybody. And, and a special shout-out to Blimey and Josh Berkowitz, who are really amazing, really amazing people. And it was a pleasure being there and uh, spending Shabbos with them. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Zechonishmas Harav Zebnevis of Alevi, and Zechonishmas Esther Basarvis of Alevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. On Asar Beteves, it marks the beginning of the anguish and suffering that Klai Yisrael had to endure. On the day of Asar Beteves, Nebuchadnezzar, the evil king of Bavel, lay siege to Yerushalayim. It happened more than 2,400 years ago. It was in the days of Tzidkiyo HaMelech in Yirmiya Hanavi. We commemorate the events of the day of Asar Beteves by fasting and doing tshuva. The Rambam writes in Hilchus Tshuva, Perak Hay, concerning the Tainus, that we fast on the day in order to arouse and inspire us to do tshuva. We recall all of the misdeeds of the past which brought about the destruction of the Beis HaMikdosh. Our intention in mentioning these memories is to set the stage for Tshuva Shalema, to return to Hashem, like the Pasuk says, that we should confess our sins and the sins of our fathers. The Arachayim HaKadosh expounds on this a little bit further. He explains that a person should never think that punishment is something that just occurs it is a direct mido keneged mido, measure for measure. On the day of Sarbatebes, a Jew needs to make an honest assessment, has to be cognizant that nothing happens by chance. It wasn't merely a twist of fate that brought Nebuchadnezzar to surround the holy city of Yerushalayim, send the troops to the Harabais, and lit the fire in the base of Mikdash. We learn, Lev Chachomim Vesarim, Biyad Hashem. Mishle teaches us that a heart of kings is in the hand of Hashem. The day of fasting was not established to merely be a remembrance and a sad reminder of the past. The day was set to signify our hope for the Gula Shalema, redemption in the future. It represents our focus on truth, of our faith in the future of our awareness of the severity of our sins, the root of our continuing gullus. The Gemara relates that there was a story concerning the harming of the people of a certain city. A delegation approached Rabbi Hanina ben Daisa. They told him about the problem. Rabbi Hanina asked them to show him the place where the opening of this particular snake's habitat is. The snake crawled up, bit Rabbi Hanina ben Daisa, and then the snake died. Rabbi Hanina took the dead reptile, he put it over his shoulder, and he went to the base madrash. He called out to everyone, You see, my children, the snake does not kill us, 
only sins kill. The Me'en Amoid comments on this, that we see the need for the remembrance even in the base Medrash. This means that even in the camp of Torah, we need to hear the cause and the effect of sin. Even today, we need that reminder. We don't have the Beis HaMikdosh. It's because of our sins that we've been exiled from the land. Similarly, we understand that through Tshuva Shlema, we will once again be brought into our land from all over the world, and we will be able to see the building of the third and final Beis HaMikdosh, Bimheirav Yameinu. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser, bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day.
שלפעמים, שלפעמים כל כך קשה, אי קשה לי. כי על ידי זה אני אומר תודה כשטוב לי. תודה, תודה גם על כל מה ש... שאין לי. תודה גם על כל מה שלא הולך בי. הלו וגם על חושך, מודה אני. J.M. and the A.M. Monday. Tomorrow's a Sarbateves. Tomorrow's a fast day. That was Micha Gamerman with Rock Lahodod. You heard Miami with Torres Chaim. Benny Friedman's Vesecha Zena here at J.M. and the A.M. Just taking a look at some of the uh, some of the items we have here in our community calendar. First of all, on this coming Wednesday night, uh, our friends at Artura Stone will be together for the uh, Investiture by Dr. Kenneth Brender as president in Russia Shiva. Rabbi Riskin, of course, is there to confer the mantle of leadership. Maurice and Marion Spanbach will uh, get the Lifetime Achievement Award. Brett Stevens will be the keynote speaker. It's all happening at the 2018 Ortora Stone Dinner at the Museum of Jewish Heritage downtown. This coming Wednesday, OTS.org.il. That's OTS.org.il for information on that's you know about this week's schedule um no secret we got a lot of traveling coming up we'll head tomorrow right after jm and the am up to toronto tomorrow night special show with kosher.com that's happening at um that's happening in toronto uh starting at 7 p.m after the fast um 
will be in Toronto in support of the Eruv and Hatzalah Wednesday morning, all the way until 10 a.m. So you'll be able to uh, join us for that all the way until 10 a.m. Um, uh, then we're back in New York, and Thursday morning, JNF at Gotta Get a Bagel out in Woodmere. We'll be with JNF, Gotta Get a Bagel out in Woodmere. That's happening um, in Woodmere, New York. Gotta Get a Bagel this coming Thursday between 6 and 9 a.m. with our friends at the Jewish National Fund. And then 11 a.m. on Thursday, we're on Central Avenue in Cedarhurst, the Achiezer offices, for a special live lunch. So there is a lot, to say the least. There is a lot going on. A lot going on this week. With a lot of travel, <clears throat> looking forward to seeing everybody up in Toronto. And then everybody out at the Five Towns. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, join the South Florida community. <coughs> excuse me. Join the South Florida community in support of Yeshiva of Miami tonight, uh, starting at 8 p.m. at the Jewish Learning Center on West 41st Street in Miami Beach. It's uh, Charlie Harari with a speech called Glasses of Greatness, How Our Focus Shapes Our Reality. Uh, there'll be a Bobka carving station, a coffee bar, free admission. Donations are appreciated. Go to yeshivaofmiami.com, yeshivaofmiami.com, or 305-204-5966, 305-204-5966. Again, that's happening tonight in... Um, That's happening tonight in uh, down in Miami. All right, yeshivaofmiami.com, 305-204-5966. More coming up, Tal Brody, 10 minutes from now, the Israeli legend, the sports legend, Tal Brody, scheduled 10 minutes from now and plenty more. All you got to do is keep it right here at JM in the AM.
The Hearts Medley done by David Dax. It's Monday at JM and the AM. Tomorrow's a server. Teves, keep that in mind. Fast starts early tomorrow morning. Um, also, don't forget that uh, we are in the midst of our year-end fundraiser, asking you to be as generous as possible when you go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. Again, fjbunity.org. Be as generous as possible, fjbunity.org. Sponsor part or all of a JM and the AM broadcast. And don't forget, we're traveling this week after tomorrow's JM and the AM. It's off to Toronto. Kosher.com tomorrow night, live from Toronto. Wednesday morning, live from the uh, Aruv and Hatsala charity campaign, live in Toronto. And then Thursday morning, we're back in New York, but we'll be in Woodmere with our friends at the Jewish National Fund. Got to get a bagel is the place in Woodmere. JNF is the focus of Thursday morning show. Right here at JM and AM, make sure to be tuned in. It is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSingle.com. On the NachumSingle Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app.
Every time Tal Brody is a guest of ours, everyone here goes nuts for good reason. The Babe Ruth of Israel, the um, most important sports figure in the history of the state of Israel. There's a brand new documentary out. You'll recall this past Friday, Donnie Menken joined us on the air here at JM in the AM. And we spoke about the uh, we spoke about the brand new movie. And um the uh, and it it takes us through the nineteen. I mean, it takes us through a lot more than just the nineteen seventy seven season. But the crescendo, of course, is the incredible 1977 season. Did I say nineteen ninety seven? Nineteen seventy seven season, um, where Israel won the European Cup on the way to winning. Of course, they beat the USSR. Tal Brody led that team through what. Uh, now that we look back on it one can acknowledge was one of the greatest miracles in sports history. Tal Brody, an absolute honor and pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Well, thank you, Nachum. It's a pleasure to be on. Uh, so, well, I learned a lot of things in this movie. First of all, I learned that um, that Israel is on the map. Israel, uh, what was it? Achshav b'mapa, achshav anachdu b'mapa, right? You're right. Not only that we're on the map, but we're staying on the map. Not only in sport, but in everything. And apparently, when you made that statement after the Soviet Union game, you had never thought of that expression before. It just came to you. It, it came to me out of the period of time that we're in. You have to remember it's 1977, only after about 30 years after the establishment of the State of Israel, from being under the British mandate of Palestine. And it was also a period of time when you're looking back and we lost 11 athletes in the 72 Munich massacre. Right. And then in 1973, when we're all in the synagogues, the sneak attack uh, by all the Arabic armies around us, and we lost about 2,600 soldiers and another three, 4,000 injured. And it was so impact on Israel from the countries in mourning for about three years up until 19, three or four years up until 1977. And here comes a basketball team that just took everybody out of the houses twice, once in beating not the Russians, but the Soviet Union. Right. The same 22 satellite countries that supply 
a large amount of basketball players today to the NBA, of the 66 uh, European players that are uh, playing in the NBA. Uh, and uh, It just was an amazing period of time. And then go on after beating the Soviet Union and you know, why we are on the map and we are staying on the map, not only in sports and everything, because every place that our team would play in Europe, uh, many of the countries even didn't even write, the, when they had the map of the country, they, they wrote Palestine. They didn't write uh, Israel. Right. You know, and uh, so all this was in our mind because every place that we would go, we would want to see what the local sports writers are saying about our team and the other team. You know, there wasn't that many uh, videos and scouting at that period of time in Europe. And so uh, apparently it was in my mind, in my heart, and uh, maybe it, it hurt that the fact that they would not say Israel and listed on the map in many of the countries, especially in East Europe when we would play. So after beating the Soviet Union, uh, seven, the seven of those players from the national team that beat the U.S. in that controversial game in the Munich Olympics in 72, all that came out of the excitement of what happened after winning 91-79. And then we went on that same year to beat Mobile Jirji Vereza, which we lost twice, once at home, once away, during the regular season, a great Italian team. And all of a sudden, to win 78-77 in Belgrade, Yugoslavia, which uh, Yugoslavia, the former Yugoslavia, you know, the, didn't have relations with Israel, but they let uh, five, six uh, LL planes land, and to bring our fans, we had 5,000 uh, fans that came from Israel and Jews also from Europe to cheer us on, and it was an amazing year, you know, from. In Tebi until Sadat arrived in Israel in making the first peace agreement, which is holding strong until today. And if Israel was not on the map, who knows if Sadat would have even uh, gone ahead and made that gesture? Uh, that, that's true. Uh, that's true. It was a beautiful period of time. We also won the Eurovision that year. And, right. And <laughs> Two Moore, years in a row, uh, right? This universe. Yeah, I think it was 76, a little bit before that. Right. Uh, Nathan Sharansky and Let My People Go. Right. Uh, it was an amazing period of time for Israel. And as I say, after this mourning period of about three years, it affected every Israeli family. Every Israeli family knew somebody that was uh, wounded or killed in that war. And uh, so the, all this just burst out, you know, where everybody just forgot and went onto the street just like a Independence Day. You know, celebrating a basketball victory, which was much more to a country, the meaning of it. Unbelievable. Tal Brody is with us, the basketball and sports legend of Israel. The um, the the documentary is called On the Map, everybody. It's called On the Map. And you can go to Hey Jude Productions. This is something we discussed with Donnie Menken the other day. Go to Hey Jude Productions on, uh, on the web, and you can see how you can not only support these efforts, but how you could bring the documentary to your synagogue, your JCC, your theater, your community, etc. It's called On the Map. Check it out. Now, Tal Brody, there are a few things I learned from... I thought I knew everything about you, and I thought I knew everything about, you know, Berkovich, Aroesti, and then... And and, and I've told you this story before, that I was walking... I happened to be like six foot five, and I was was walking in Ashdod as a teenager, 
and uh, two girls passed me, and one said to the other, Thierry, Olsi Perry Halavan. So I've always, <laughs> I've always had this this uh, kinship with Olsi Perry, frankly, and I learned a tremendous amount about him from this documentary. But here are a few other things I learned. I didn't realize how not only did you have to buy into all of this, and it was incredible that you did and you led the effort, but you had so many teammates, including Olsi and others, who had to buy into this thing, who had to understand that coming you know, overseas to play for Israel was a big deal, an important deal, and eventually a historic deal. And not to minimize your role, but when you think and you see in the documentary how many others had to buy into all of this, it's really amazing. That's true. You know, as uh, today, it's uh, after David Stern and globalization, also Europe, you know, basketball is open. You have, uh, we have a Greek coach coaching Maccabi Tel Aviv. The, the Russians had even a, a David Blatt, who, uh, Jewish, uh, you know, a coach. Kruster yeah. uh, probably would have turned in his grave if he, he saw right. that an Israeli is <laughs> coaching, you know, the Russian national team and then CSKA at one period of time. And so... The Europe changed its rules from having allowing two Americans to play, or it could be American and a European, doesn't make any difference, uh, to open to European Union. Any, uh, any player within the European Union can play for another country. And then they open it up uh, all together. So, yes, we had, uh, you know, like uh, myself at 77, I was an Israeli citizen, and uh, uh, same with Eric Menken and Bob Griffin and Olsi uh, Perry. It came in and uh, Jim, Jim Boatwright was our foreign ball player. And all the other teams that we played against in that final with Mobile Jirji, uh, Bob Morris and uh, Randy Meister from uh, Bob Morris played with Penn. He was a great ball player at that period of time with Penn. And uh, so all the teams in Europe, not just uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv, and was, so we go by the European rules. And that's the way it is today, you know, and, and it's amazing, you know, because you know, in, when I'm traveling around the world with this movie, I've been to Brazil, they translated it into Portuguese. In <laughs> China, it's going to be in Mandarin. In Hong Kong, it still uh, uh, was under the British, uh, but now it's under the Chinese. But the movie was in, in English, and in South America, it's going to be in Spanish, and in Europe... It's uh, it's going to be through every country through their language, and I, I I'm amazed at the interest in a movie which is based on a basketball story, but the impact of the movie when you see no matter how many times any of the Jewish community that has been to Israel or the Christian community that, that has come, they never seen this part of Israel, and right. it's a missing part of their vocabulary, or you might say, but, you know, it's missing because you cannot get a ticket to a European basketball game when we're playing on a Thursday night in Israel. Everything's sold out before the season starts, so nobody ever seen the excitement of sport. How many people know that uh, this year, with uh, many of the moderate Arabic countries, uh, are are getting closer to Israel, and our judo team that won gold medals in Dubai. And for the first time in Abu Dhabi, they allowed our athletes uh, to go with the logo of Israel on their uniforms. And when they won the gold medal, to play the Hatikva. And this is, it's, it's a new world out there that's happening. And, uh, you know, so a 
lot of things because of what's happening in sport in Israel. They always like to say it, we're, we're the sports capital of the Middle East. You know, <laughs> so, 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 so when you look at it, what's going on around us, we're the, basically the, the safest country in the Middle East and also the country which loves sports. But when people are coming in, by the way, we had our greatest tourist uh, year. We're breaking all records as far as tourism this year. And when people come in, they see everything about Israel by traveling around, but they don't see the love of sport and the excitement of sport in Israel. And this movie brought it out, and that's what amazes people when they come to see it. Oh, I love it. It's just a great movie. By the way, I did not realize that Bill Walton and David Stern not only did have an appreciation for Israeli basketball, they know the history of Israeli basketball. Of course. Well, Billy and, Billy and I were roommates in the U.S. team in 1970 in the ah, World Championships. Wow. Unbelievable. And, uh, David Stern has always uh, granted us permission to come in for 20 years uh, uh, playing NBA teams. And if you remember, we played the, I did the promo with Isaiah Thomas right. when he was coaching, and we had 18,600 people cheering for Maccabi Tel Aviv in Madison Square Garden. Yep. <laughs> that was amazing. I remember that night like it was yesterday. And uh, does that continue, by the way? Does the current commissioner still uh, allow Israeli basketball to have a good relationship with the NBA? Yeah, well, Adam Silver, you know, uh, came on, is doing a great job. And uh, David Stern, he, he's, uh, you know, like uh, retired from the NBA, but right. he's active in his own uh, advisory capacity to many different organizations all over the world. And uh, Adam has followed up. We've continued playing uh, we NBA teams, especially now when the NBA teams are going abroad in China and Brazil, every place in the world, uh, in those six to eight uh, pre pregame uh, pre pregame seasons that they play, that uh, before the regular season starts, they they go out all over the world and uh, you know playing. Uh, in various countries. So, as I say, uh, David Stern brought globalization to the game of basketball, and that's what's happening. I was there the night that uh, Omri visited New York for the first time, like, I don't know, nine, ten years Omri ago. Caspi. Yeah, that was, I'll yes. tell you, that was just, uh, everyone, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible how Jews identify not only with Israel, but with Israeli basketball and Israeli basketball players. It's really incredible when you think about it. Uh, by the way, speaking of identifying with, I didn't realize the level uh, of which uh, both Yitzhak Rabin and more so Moshe Dayan, uh, how much they associated with the Israeli basketball. Moshe Dayan was actually at all, at all the games, according to the documentary. Yes, he uh, was a friend of what they call a friend of Maccabi Tel Aviv coming to uh, our games. I remember my son, uh, when he was in elementary school, he would sit on Moshe Dayan's lap at the game a lot of times. <laughs> Unbelievable. And Yitzhak Rabin really <laughs> loved sports, and he... He was a big fan, by the way, of the New York Knicks and right. everything that that was going on, and it did it, it followed through uh, up to today. You know that uh, you know many of the people come, and uh, not only that, uh, you know we had uh, I hosted uh, Robert Kraft that twice uh, in the last couple of years brought uh, not only uh, the stars of the New England Patriots when they won, but the and the National Football League. Uh, uh, Hall of Famers, and uh, also uh, Rick Barry, my friend, and my teammate, and uh, Dr. J, and uh, Magic, and you got the uh, NBA All-Stars that have come, and they they love to go down and visit the uh, JNF uh, facilities that they built in Stirol. They, they couldn't believe that there's a uh, facility that you 
have to have to protect rockets coming in and, right. and they're going down on the kids that are in the playing basketball and they they were amazed to see such a facility so we have uh, you know it's, it's it's unbelievable what's happening in Israel but it's a part of life that people don't see 100% and sports gives them the chance to uh, to do that all right a couple of things i got to ask you you know there's there, they allude to this in the documentary specifically about Mickey Berkovich and how nervous he was before the uh, Soviet game which i understand Yes, that's what, that's what I want. That's what I want you to address for a second, because you know we make a big deal, rightfully so, about you know giving up an NBA career to do what you did on behalf of Israel and the Jewish people. Frankly, and I don't know if at that time you even realized, as a youngster, you know the magnitude of it, but now certainly you do. Uh, but but we shouldn't think that this was that this was always an easy process. There must have been times when you felt very very uncomfortable in certain arenas and countries around the world must have been and all see for sure and the other players and 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 also as they described with Mickey in the documentary you you felt the weight of the entire Jewish people and the state of Israel on your shoulders going out there and playing the game um, well definitely you know like playing with an Israeli team before the Munich Olympics and playing with any Israeli sports team and going out and playing all over the world after the Munich Olympics, it's like night and day of the security situations that any sport team never ever realized that this is part of uh, the program, you know, so it, it is very different. What was that like, by the way, after the Munich Olympics? When you, I mean, well, I, 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 mean I, when I, you're I, traveling, uh, every place that we land, we have every anti-terrorist uh, police squad uh, escorting us every place where we go. We have our own uh, communication codes, you know, when the night went to open up door, when not to open up the doors, you don't receive any presents. You know, it was different, you know, and it's a different world after Munich. I can only imagine, my gosh. And what about the whole weight of the Jewish people, weight of the, you know, state of Israel on your shoulders? Do you, do you feel that? Is, is that well, one of we felt that, especially at that period of time, behind the Iron Curtain, we saw what it meant for the Jewish communities behind the Iron Curtain, and we saw what it meant even for the, the Jewish communities in France and Belgium or Germany, which were not that not today is any less anti-Semitism there, but at that time and suffering from anti-Semitism, and we saw what it meant. And when the Israeli team would come in and play and be able to even win against the, their teams and it not only made in, in Israel feel proud, but all these, you know, the countries uh, where Jewish communities were to feel very proud. You know, and then you say, like, what it meant to play against the Russians or the Soviet Union at that period of time. And why, uh, like you say, Mickey was very nervous with the, with the, with the, with his, that button on his shirt. Right. But the fact is that they beat Real Madrid with uh, the game before by 20 points in Madrid, which Real Madrid is the... Uh, top you know it's like the boston celtics at its peak or los angeles lakers at its peak and its peak that every team knew that if you can be real madrid in madrid it's an amazing feat and that's what they did and then also seven of those players which were on their olympic team that beat the u.s team mm-hmm. so um, a, seven, a, a greater miracle one might argue than the 1980 olympics could be a greater miracle well yeah it's uh, uh, 1972 Olympics. Uh, well, I'm talking about the miracle on ice. The, ah, the, the miracle on yeah, ice. B- yes, b- for Bas- sure. Israel, know, very, very similar. Israel right? 77 might be a bigger miracle than the miracle on ice 1980. Well, 
I tell you, ice hockey in uh, Russia, it's the top sport. The right. U.S. team uh, beat the uh, Russian team. So from a basketball standpoint, if I asked you what you did that was better than them, that allowed you to, uh, you know, that led to the victory against the Soviets, that led to the victory in the European Cup final, what was it? What was the what was the secret basketball ingredient that those teams weren't prepared for at that time? Was there something? Um, well, we're definitely the underdog, that's for sure. Right. Nobody <laughs> thought that the Soviet Union uh, with 22 satellite countries and the but did you pa- but did you pass better or shoot better or dribble better no, or we just uh, played with our hearts and uh, played above and beyond our ability to to beat that team at that period of time unbelievable you know That's but uh, uh, for many years uh, at the NBA All Star weekends I would meet with uh, Sergey Belov and he said that when the Russian government when the government agreed to have that game they made a mistake by having that game in a very small arena which is probably less than any uh, junior high school gymnasium in the States. And then when it was only for 500 people, and then if you have 498 cheering for us and only two KGB agents at the time cheering for the <laughs> Russian team, how can we lose? <laughs> Plus all Israeli flags flying all over the place. I don't know if they thought that they, they, they knew they weren't in Israel, but it looked for them on that basketball court, it was like they were in Israel. Unbelievable. The fans may have helped you intimidate the other team. Simple as that. Well, by cheering. I don't know how much right. intimidation, but it wasn't <laughs> pleasant that the, you know they were a little shell-shocked, I think. Tal Brody, when you walk the streets of Israel, and I would assume it's the same for all C. Mickey and the others, when you walk the streets of Israel, it's like you won that game yesterday, right? Well, it goes down from the grandparents that were there to the parents right. to the children. It just keeps passing on because it's a beautiful time and a beautiful moment. And it's relived on the TV so often and on the radio. And you know, it's it's amazing because it's something that it's just that the country doesn't want to forget about. Yeah. And this movie moralizes oh. more or less what that period of time so other people around the world can feel that moment, what it was to be uh, Jewish, to be an athlete, to be on an Israeli team and playing the world's best and be able to win and to see what it meant for for your for a whole country it's it's amazing for a country that's struggling for a country that's uh, uh, I've been in Israel since the six days war you know how many scrimmages and wars since we had that period of time yeah. and we're able to do this continuously not only in in uh, 1977 but 1981 the second time we won the European Championship then in Strasbourg, uh, then in 2001 in Paris, then in 2004 in Tel Aviv, then in 2005 in Moscow, we took for the fifth time. The sixth time was a couple years ago, 2014 in uh, Milano, Italy. We had over 10,000 Jews that came from Israel and from Europe uh, to support our team in Milano, Italy. And a few years ago at the James Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, uh, I was called in to cut the ribbon at the, um, uh, for the exhibition and to be our team to be honored, you know, for the first team outside of the United States to be honored in the James Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, and it was amazing. Springfield, Massachusetts. Uh, Mickey, uh, Mickey Berkowitz was with me, at the, uh, and it, it, it just was 
you know, something that to see the Maccabi Tel Aviv and the James Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame being honored and ex- exhibited, you know, for what has been accomplished and, you know, and, and just for how our basketball, our fans relate to it in Israel. You know, if there's going to be an NBA division in Europe, which uh, can't be likely in the future with so many basketball players in the NBA from Europe today, that uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv and and, and Israeli basketball, or Israel itself, will be one of the first countries that the NBA will most likely look for because of the uh, immensity of basketball in the country. Unbelievable. Incredible. The movie's called On the Map. You must see it, everybody. On the Map. Go to Hey Jude Productions. There's a contact link there where you can find out how to bring the movie to your shul, school, JCC, etc., etc. As Tal Brody has told us, it's being seen all around the world, and people are fascinated by it, and for good reason. It is an incredible and amazing documentary, one of the most incredible sports achievements, not only in Israel's history, but I would say in uh, in sports history. Tal Tadaraba, thank you so much for joining me this morning and for spending all this time. Uh, what can I say? Uh, you know, for for people like myself, it's literally speaking to a hero. Just incredible. Well, uh, thank you. I'm I'm on my way back to Israel. I finished uh, yesterday, and uh, I think it's called Pakupa um, Pakua in Westchester, where Bill Bill Clinton, I think, is living in the same. Place. Oh, uh, Chappaqua. Chappaqua, yeah, Chappaqua, Chappaqua. Had a great time at Mammoth University. It was unbelievable uh, to see the university, how it has progressed there in Bnei Yishurim, in the synagogue in the, in New York here. So it's been a nice swing through, and then I'm going on the way back to Israel, and my, my wife and uh, children and ten grandchildren wow. are waiting for me to get back. Unbelievable. And someone told me you have quite an admiration for our friends at Yeshiva University Basketball and their accomplishments up there. Yeshiva basketball, I'm telling you, I enjoy coming in into Red Sarjak tournament. I've been in more than a few times and during the Shabbaton where they have everybody right. on a Friday night and Saturday to be with all the players from all over the country. The excitement at the tournament, it's great. It's really great. We're looking for maybe to even recruit our first basketball player from that tournament to come to Israel and play. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I'll have to I'll have to see if Elliot Steinmetz heard that because that's right. That, that... Elliot knows <laughs> knows very well. You know, he, he knows. He's also at... looking to bring the first Israeli ball player. To, <laughs> maybe not the first, but right. uh, for a good ball player to play for Yeshiva. They did very well last year. I think they were in the tournament. They they made the tournament. I was there with my son in Pennsylvania. It was one of the greatest moments ever. And I would argue that what they did for the, uh, the what you did for the state of Israel and the Jewish people back then, they really did for Jews in the diaspora especially in this area uh, this past season, and they're doing really well again this year, thank God. And, and yeah, they've had a lot of great Israeli players, including our great friend Lior Hode, who's one of the best in yeshiva history. So, uh, look, Tal, I, I look forward to seeing you in Israel. Kolakavod, best regards to everyone, and especially to those heroes of the 1977 European Cup Championship. And uh, enjoy, uh, enjoy promoting this movie. It's really amazing. Thank you very much, Nachum. On the map. Check it out, everybody. Hey Jude Productions, an honor every time we get to speak to the one and only Tal Brody at JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. Music of Salcellus. Monday morning, tomorrow a fast day. Keep that in mind. We travel tomorrow. Tomorrow night we broadcast 7 p.m. Eastern time from Toronto with our friends at kosher.com. Wednesday morning, J.M. in the A.M. will keep Toronto running as we support two of their essential services, the Eruv and Hatsala. We'll be live J.M. in the A.M. broadcasting from Toronto Wednesday morning. Thursday morning, we're with JNF out in Woodmere at Gotta Get a Bagel, the Jewish National Fund. That'll be happening on a Thursday morning between 6 and 9, and then our live lunch on Thursday from Achiezra headquarters in uh, Cedarhurst, New York. Allison Josephs is with us live via telephone. Jew in the City uh, has just announced the uh, All-Stars, their sixth class of Orthodox Jewish All-Stars. In addition, there are other important things to discuss with her as well. Alice and Joseph's JewInTheCity.com. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much. So great to be back. Appreciate that. Uh, I don't know if we have time to go through the entire list, but what could you tell us about the uh, about the sixth class of Orthodox Jewish All-Stars? Well, every year, really since the first year we did this, we thought, how many years can we do this? And definitely the naysayers told us, okay, you've got, you know, one class of ten people, but you're not <laughs> going to be able to do this again. So we're six years into this. Um, we have not one, but actually two Olympic athletes, um, which is pretty incredible. There's A.J. Edelman, who I think a lot of people heard about. We publicized him this past winter in Pyeongchang, um, the first Orthodox Jewish male to make it to the Olympics since the history of 
whatsoever. Right. Um, and we actually thought he was the first Orthodox Jew to get there. And then we actually had a woman nominated. Um, a woman named Bot Algetterer actually went to the Olympics, um, the Summer Olympics before him um, in Beijing for Taekwondo. So actually a woman got there first. Woo! And uh, so they're both on our <laughs> list this year. Um, we have Shulam Lemmer. Uh, you know, I think he's made a little bit of a sensation recently as the first born and bred Hasidic Jew to get signed by a major, uh, you know, record. Um, record we level. have the Secretary of Transportation for the state of Massachusetts, which I think is just so interesting that, you know, here um, for, you know, we don't realize all the places that Orthodox Jews can be in terms of their careers. We're always looking every year uh, for kind of new angles and sort of new positions that we've never seen before. And there's a lot of Jewish lawyers out there, but to be placed so high, you know, in a state government um, is pretty neat. So um, we, we really have a lot of great uh, all-stars this year. I, in a way, they're kind of all very special. Oh, we also have a guy who... Um, he helped put the first man on the moon. He's a NASA, um, you know, uh, astrophysicist and helped put the first man on the moon. Um, and it, it's pretty neat, uh, sort of year after year, how we're able to highlight people that most people have not heard of that are doing these really incredible things professionally, and um, and they're all orthodox. Allison Joseph is with us, JewInTheCity.com. You can check out all of the all-stars that were just announced, the sixth class of Orthodox Jewish All-Stars when you go to the website, jewinthecity.com. Again, that's jewinthecity.com. Let's do it in this order, Allison. Let's tell everybody how to support Project Macomb, and then we'll take a minute to discuss what Project Macomb is and what its mission statement is, and of course, we'll do another reminder. But let's get the information out there first, because there are some listeners who are already uh, educated when it comes to Project Macomb. Uh, tell us how to support it uh, going forward. Yeah, so we're having an annual campaign right now. We made a video called Why I Stopped Hating Orthodox Jews and Judaism, which is on our site right now. It's the top post on our site. Um, it's also on our Twitter page, you know, twitter.com slash Jew in the City, our Facebook page, facebook.com, Jew in the City. You can find the annual campaign in those places, or this video, Why I Stopped Hating Orthodox Jews and Judaism. And we basically tell the story of, uh, you know, two people who stopped hating Orthodox Jews and Judaism because of our work. Um, so if you can uh, go to our site right now, our Twitter page, our Facebook page, I know right now everyone is uh, raising money for a lot of amazing causes. Um, but the work that we are doing is unique in the Jewish world, um, and it is so vast what we have to accomplish, um, and the issues for, you know, for each person that's coming to us, for the majority of them, are so deep. Um, and it's a new cause. It's not out there yet. So if you have heard about Project Macomb um, and you care about it in any way, um, even sending us a few dollars to keep us going is really just kind of being counted that um, you hear us, you appreciate us, and you would like to, you know, do your small difference in this cause. And if you want to send a lot of money, we would take that too. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Uh, so uh, JewInTheCity.com, everybody, JewInTheCity.com, uh, the method of donating is a pretty obvious once you get to the website. And as Allison just said, Project Macomb is a special subset or associate with uh, JewInTheCity.com that is worthy of supporting as well. Now, what I'm going to do, if you don't mind, I assume the mission statement that's here on your website is one that I could read to our audience, right? Correct, yes. So here, here's what Project Macomb is, and I'm going to give you a chance to uh, to add to this because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about Project Macomb in the community, and we should emphasize just how important and integral a role it plays uh, for people of a certain background. So listen carefully, folks. Project Macomb, an initiative of Jew in the City, 
helps former or questioning Haredi Jews find their place in Orthodoxy. While we believe that there are numerous valid paths within Orthodox Judaism, not all observant Jews are born into a community which fits them. There are some modern Orthodox Jews who choose to move to the right, but for some Haredi Jews who want to transition to a more open, observant community, they face hurdles that prevent them from doing so, whether cultural, educational, or simply feeling unwelcomed. Some of these people end up leaving religious life altogether. Project Macomb gives these individuals another option. So, and now these are my words, from, from the beginning of Project Macomb, all you've ever wanted and all you've ever offered is a positive alternative for those who literally would be completely gone from our tradition and heritage if Project Macomb was not around. Correct. And that's it. What do you want to add to this? Anything you want to explain further or tell the audience about? Yeah, so I think we get the question sometimes also, what does this have to do with your initial mission statement at Jew in the City about breaking stereotypes about Orthodox Jews? The thing about Project Macomb is that I created you in the city to show a different perspective about orthodoxy to people outside of the community. What ended up happening was, first, we started hearing from all these people that already were orthodox, that were, you know, telling us that the content that we put out and the way we explain mitzvot and the way that we explain different Jewish ideas was more meaningful and more relevant than they had learned in their entire Jewish education, which was shocking and a little bit upsetting. Um, and then we accidentally attracted this disenfranchised group of people coming from the, either, you know, Hasidish and, you know, some of them from the Lipish world, and they said to us, we would like to live the type of orthodoxy that you're explaining here. How can we gain access to that? So we never targeted this group um, in any way, shape, or form, but they were following our content. And we had to figure out, what are we doing? How are we breaking down stereotypes if they are Orthodox Jews? What we realized as we updated our mission statement this year is that it's not actually stereotypes we're breaking down because the people that are being attracted to our content have lived, unfortunately, abusive Jewish lives. They've lived extreme um, Jewish lives. Now, let me just make a clear point here. This is not to say that Haredi or Hasidic is abusive or extreme. Right. It's to say the ones that we are attracting have lived abusive or extreme lives. But those are the ones that make the headlines, and so that's how the whole thing fits together. It's the people that are living in not ideal Jewish conditions and have Judaism, have abuse being masqueraded as Judaism, are the ones that the media picks up as, you know, Orthodox Jews, and the ones that these people see this is Orthodox Judaism and want to leave. So what we change our mission statement to say is that we are reversing negative associations about religious Jews. And those associations can come about either by experiencing it or by uh, reading about someone who experienced it. And when we put forth an approach based on kindness, tolerance, sincerity, and critical thinking, that is how we reverse these negative associations. And we also make engaging and meaningful Orthodox Judaism known and accessible. So although the Project Macomb piece um, is for this disenfranchised group from the Haredi world that, you know, experienced an abusive kind of Judaism, ultimately our message of showing this positive Orthodoxy, a meaningful, engaging Orthodoxy, ends up being relevant to the entire Jewish world. And this video that we have now why I stopped hating Orthodox Jews and Judaism. We are so proud of it. It showcases two voices, a man and a woman. The man was raised non-Orthodox and had negative ideas about the Orthodox world. The woman was raised in an insular Orthodox community and had negative experiences about the Orthodox world. And the two of them, through our programming and content and Project Makom, you know, um, classes and events, 
got to see a different side, and now they're both happily observant, and they feel good about being from, and that's really what we're here for. So when people, you know, say that Project Malcolm is to make everybody modern orthodox or that we have some sort of recruitment, uh, you know, idea, that couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, Project Malcolm and you in the city together, we are here to undo the negative experiences or um, knowledge and replace it with all the positive and meaningful and engaging things that people ought to know about our heritage. Well said. Thank you. And and those, bottom line, those across the board, from the uh, most liberal, whatever word that, whatever that means in this context, uh, to the most uh, observant in our community, if the desire is to keep those people within the fold of the community, uh, you can attest to the fact, and you have plenty of uh, of evidence, you can attest to the fact that without Project Macomb, uh, we'd be losing, unfortunately, large numbers of people. We already um, have done, we conducted nearly 200 intakes in our first two years of uh, programming at Project Macomb. And I think, you, I think you started thinking you'd do like five or ten, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, we... Uh, we didn't realize sort of the, the uh, massive size of this situation until we got in. And people listening also have to remember that um, you don't leave this community unless there is something pretty major that went on in your life. So not only do we have a large number of participants in this program, um, each person is coming to us with so many layers of trauma and so many layers of hurt. And we literally have to reteach them to trust rabbis. We have to reteach them a healthy and a positive Judaism. The voices in their head about all the ways that they're going to burn in Gehenna and all the punishments, all the babies that are going to die if they make one mistake. Um, We really have to sort of like deprogram and then reprogram with something positive. And um, as much pleasure as I get from showing a Jew their first Shabbos if they've never seen Shabbos before, I can't begin to tell you what it's like to show someone where Shabbos was abusive, where Torah study was abusive, where Hashem was abusive, when we can replace for them a loving God and a positive Shabbos experience. Um, there, there is nothing that you could imagine that's more beautiful. Um, and, and this is where our work took us, and we never intended it for, to go in this direction. And as I said before, it's a brand new space that no one is touching yet. Um, and maybe we're kind of crazy to touch it, but um, we are not a known tzedakah yet. People, I think, unfortunately sort of see you in the city as a blog, and why would a blog need funding? But we have a staff. We have a staff that creates content. Our content is reaching hundreds of thousands of people every year. I speak all over the world, and people come up to me and tell me one by one after my talks how they're observing today because they saw a video and it changed their mind. Um, and we're reaching up close hundreds of people with Project Macomb. And um, we, we want to keep on going because we know there's so much more work to do. Yeah, well, you don't have to convince us. We're, we're here uh, reminding everybody that it's important to support the cause. JewInTheCity.com. JewInTheCity.com. When you go there, you'll see the tab where you could donate. Uh, Project Macomb and all the information about it is on that page. It's on the home page. You'll see it there with the, uh, with the um, mission statement, etc. Plus, of course, the announcement regarding the All-Stars. The videos that Allison just mentioned, uh, why I stopped hating Orthodox Jews and Judaism, and other very interesting videos are all up there on the site, uh, which is really easy to navigate. So check it out and enjoy and support it as best as you can. Go to JewInTheCity.com for all the information. Allison, continued good luck to you. I hope things go well with a fundraiser, and uh, just keep at it because you're helping a lot of people out there. Thank you so much. Allison Josephs can be heard every single Thursday. 10 a.m. Eastern Time, right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Allison Josephs and Jew in the City Speaks, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 
every single Thursday right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Check it out. You'll be glad you did, to say the least. Um, want to remind everybody, the next live edition of The Israel Show is coming up eight minutes from now here at the Nahum Siegel Network. The Voices of Heroism and Mourning from last week's multiple attacks and killings in Israel. Plus, Mayor will get to the weekly Israeli music mix featuring the late singer and songwriter Yigal Bashan. All happening right after JMNAM this morning. Keep it right here at the Nahum Siegel Network.
J.M. in the A.M. That's uh, Aton Katz, of course, here on a J.M. in the A.M. Monday morning. Don't forget, we are in the midst of our uh, 2018 year-end campaign. Support the great work of uh, J.M. in the A.M. and the Nachum Siegel Network. Go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, and give generously. FJB for Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, fjbunity.org. And, of course, we thank you for that. Uh, also... Um, we are traveling this week. We head to Toronto tomorrow after JM in the AM. Tomorrow night, we're with kosher.com up in Toronto. Wednesday morning with our friends at Hatsala and the Aruv of Toronto. Their charity campaign starts Wednesday. Thursday, we're with JNF, the Jewish National Fund. Thursday morning, at Gotta Get a Bagel in uh, Woodmere. And then Thursday afternoon at Achiezer for the live lunch on Thursday. So a lot of travel this week, lots going on, a lot of special programming. I hope you'll be with us every single day. Step of the way. Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSegal.com, on the NachumSegal Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up a great Monday here at JMNAM. My thanks to Tal Brody. My thanks to, uh, to uh, Captain Bob Kent. My thanks to uh, all of you. My thanks to Allison Joseph. My thanks to all of you for tuning in. Mayor Weingarten, now with The Israel Show, followed by After Further Review with Yoni Pollock, followed by Jake Novak with more about the situation we discussed earlier this morning. It's all happening here on a Monday at the Nahum Siegel Network. Have a fabulous Monday. Don't forget, tomorrow we are back starting at 6 a.m. right here live in studio. Have a fabulous Monday till tomorrow, Nahum Siegel. Oh, and tomorrow's a fast day, keep in mind. And Mazel Tov, Dr. Mark Singer. The Ufruf was amazing. Mazel Tov to Mark and Toby. The Ufruf was absolutely amazing this past Shabbos. Shout out to Rabbi Rosenberg. Have a wonderful Monday till tomorrow. Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember to past, live the present, and trust the future. <laughs>